to go the other way. <laughs> okay, so welcome, JJ. You should be clapping at home right now. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, I have this thing where I need eye contact when I preach or speak. Um, so I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that there's a few people in this room because it's really hard to talk to an empty room. I'm used to a lot of kids running around. So, But it's exciting to be here today. Um, I have been away from people. I was away from people other than saying hi to neighbors from across the street for 17 days. This is my day 18, and I am in the same room as people. Woohoo! I'm so excited. So good morning. What an unusual season this has been, right? If you had predicted it, if anyone had told you it was going to happen, you wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed it. Life suddenly took a huge turn. And as Kurt had already asked me to preach, I didn't know what the word was for today. I'd been praying and had no idea what the word was. And I just said, God, I don't, I don't understand what's happening. And then all of a sudden, life changed so much and things went from, this is my preferred normal life speed, so check this out. I think it's coming. Oh, hold on. Am I upside down? There we go. So in case you can't tell, that was me. Uh, a month ago yesterday, I was visiting my niece, and she said, let's go skydiving. And I said, well, it's been 30 years since I've done it, so it's probably about time to do it again. And that's the speed of life that I prefer. Let's just go for it, go all in. So that's what I like. And just to prove that it was me, I'm going to show you some pictures so you can see. I don't know if you can see up close. In all three of those pictures, you can tell we're still free falling. That little parachute is called a drone, and it's just to slow you down because when you jump tandem, you're going way too fast. So the drone chute slows you down to about 120 miles an hour. But if you can see my face, the skin is stretched by the wind, just buffeting my face. But in every picture, I'm like because I love the speed of that. And that's how I like life to be. And that's what I thought this new season was gonna be. About a month ago, Josh and Justine and I sat up here and I shared the scripture with you where God says, see, I'm doing a new thing, don't you perceive it? And we felt like God was just starting to clarify what that perceiving it meant. That in the optometrist office, you use a four-opter to kind of tune it in and make it clear. And God was just starting to clarify what we thought and we thought, okay, we know Kurt and Julie are stepping down. We think Josh and Justine's taking over. God's starting to clarify. And then within a couple of weeks, God said, okay, not Josh and Justine, but I'm still doing something new. And we said, okay, we're in, God. You're doing something new. Let's go. What are you, what are you doing? How can we trust you? And we went from that huge, fast-paced speed where we were all crazy busy trying to figure it out and hear from God and get things ready to this speed. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's an isolation pod, sensory deprivation pod. So I went from skydiving on a Friday to on a Thursday, an isolation pod. Why did I do that? A few years ago, God had told me something. He said, I had something for you in one of those isolation pods. There's just kind of something I want to say to you. And I knew this sermon was coming up, and God hadn't given me a word yet, and he kind of reminded me that he said to go check out one of those sensory deprivation pods. So I said, okay, well, maybe God's going to give me the word in the pod. And if you have a crazy household, that sensory deprivation pod looks like heaven to you. To me, it's a torture chamber. <laughs> it is not heaven. 
And all the LSK team is laughing at home right now because I have to get my hair wet. And it's not only because I have to get my hair wet, although that's part of it, <laughs> because then it means I have to go home with yucky hair. So it's not only the hair wet thing, it's torture to have zero input of any kind. When you get in the pod, you close the lid and it's silence and it's dark and you just stay there for an hour. While I'm in that pod, I'm trying to enter into the whole experience. I'm determined to not get out early. They say a lot of new timers get out early. I'm determined not to get out early. And the whole time I'm thinking, if I yell loudly enough that Siri outside the pod can hear me, can she tell me how much time I have left? Because I have no idea how long I've been in here. And what if it's only been two minutes and I think I'm almost done? And it took, they say it takes a while to just settle into floating. It took me two seconds to settle into floating. It took me a really long time, probably 58 minutes, before I finally was just going, okay, I'm at peace. During that whole time, did I have a massive revelation from God? No, I did not. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, what are you saying? What does this have to do with it? So fast forward to we're getting closer to this week when I'm supposed to preach, and I still don't know what I'm supposed to preach about. And Kurt will tell you, I'm trying to get out of the sermon. I'm like, I have a cough, Kurt. It might be it. People need to stay away from me. I can't do it. I'm trying to get out of it. And yet last Sunday morning, during the sermon, during worship, which was so beautiful, during worship when all of a sudden Pam starts singing, we exalt thee, and I stand up in my living room, in my pajamas, worshiping God with all my heart, and I open my eye, and my lawn guy is at the window attaching the hose, looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, God, it's okay. We exalt thee. God finally showed me what's on his heart for today, and I'm so excited to share it with you. And this is a season where we went from my skydiving fast pace, whatever your fast pace is, to our sensory deprivation pods where we're in social isolation. And we're in that phase right now. And if you're like me, you're counting the days, just like I was asking Siri to count the minutes for me. By the way, Siri couldn't hear me. <laughs> it didn't work. But I'm asking Siri to count the minutes for me. I'm asking God to count the days. And God said to me, what if, what if there's something bigger I want to do? And what's your story going to be 20 years from now? What's your story going to be 30 years from now when you or your kids or your grandkids tell the story of what God did during COVID-19, during 2020, where we were trying to get clear vision and all of a sudden we see this total shutdown? What's our story going to be? So that's where we're headed today. Adam, who's going to pray? Kevin, that's so perfect. You have no idea how great it is that Kevin's the one who's going to pray today. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. You know, in like two months, it's going to be weird that we're making fun of Kurt still. <laughs> <laughs> never. It will never stop. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Lord, we just thank you that you're here, uh, not just here wherever we find ourselves, but here in this moment in history. Um, and God, we do... Uh, we don't necessarily embrace the isolation chamber because it doesn't sound pleasant, um, but we embrace it because it feels like that's what you're doing. And so would you help us in where, wherever we find ourselves, whether there's kids running around right now or whether it's quiet, um, whether there's technology around or whether it's peaceful, whatever it is, God, would you help us to hear your voice this morning? Would you help us to hear exactly what you have for us? Lord, we just thank you um, that we have an opportunity to still gather um, even when we can't physically gather and, and be physically present, Lord. And, Thank you, Jesus. Um, I, I just I wanted to lift up another church, God, but I felt like you're leading me just to, to pray for all the churches in, in, that are streaming right now, Lord. Would you help the technology to work? Would you help um, people to hear? And I just pray that even in this season where we would say it's the worst time uh, to try and join a church, God, would you draw people that don't know you um, to different streams? Yes. 
um, to different people, and um, may they come to know you in this season um, where we are saying every, it's not possible. Would you make it possible? And we thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Just a side note, this is not part of the message today, but when Kevin was praying, I was just reminded when this first started, um, I felt led to look at a map of where the virus had spread. And as I was looking at that and praying over different nations and praying that God would do his work in the, in the world, God reminded me of that old song from Hill Songs years ago that says, I ask for the nations. And I've just been led to pray, Lord, would your Holy Spirit flood the earth more rapidly than COVID-19 is flooding the earth. Lord, would your spirit spread throughout and touch every country? So I just resonate with that prayer, Kevin. So thank you so much for praying that. And you were just the perfect person to pray again. <laughs> so Justine started us a while ago. She started us on this journey of last lectures. So if this is my last lecture, here it is. And at first, I, as I said, I, I wasn't hearing from God. I had one word. About a week and a half ago, I had one word, opportunity. And and the way I'm wired, I don't consider this a season of opportunity. So I didn't know what that meant. And I was still asking God, what am I supposed to preach on? What's your heart? What's your goal? What's your word that's a God word for today? Um, and Joe got Esther. <sighs> All, everybody wants to preach Esther. That was so awesome. Kevin, you got Ezra and Nehemiah awesome and wonderful. Zach last week had Haggai, so I'm like, all that's left is Malachi, and I'm not preaching a sermon on tithing, God. I don't think that's the right sermon for today, and that's what Malachi's about. But last week, as, as Zach was preaching, God just kept saying Malachi. So I went, and I read Malachi, and I read Malachi several times, and that's where we're headed today, and I'll forewarn you before you check out of the stream, it is not a sermon on tithing. There's more to Malachi than that, and I'm really excited about the word that God has for us. So let's check out this Bible project video, last one for the Old Testament. We've gotten all the way to the end. So here's Malachi from the Bible Project. The book of the prophet Malachi. He lived about a hundred years after the Israelites had returned from their Babylonian exile. And his message was directed to the people who had been living in Jerusalem for some time now. The temple had been rebuilt a while ago and things were not going well. Just remember the stories from Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, when the Israelites first returned from exile, their hopes were high. They would return and rebuild their lives and the temple. All of the great promises of the prophets would come true. The Messiah would come and set up God's kingdom over a unified Israel and over the nations and bring justice and peace for all. But that's not what happened. The Israelites who repopulated the city proved to be just as unfaithful to God as their ancestors, resulting in poverty and injustice. And so in Malachi, we find out just how corrupt this new generation has become. The book's designed as a series of disputes, and most sections begin with God saying something, making a claim or an accusation, and then Israel will disagree or question God's statement. And then God will respond and offer the last word. This happens six times. In the first three disputes, God exposes Israel's corruption, and in the final three disputes, he confronts their corruption. And the overall impression you get from these arguments and disputes is that the exile fundamentally didn't change anything in the people. Israel's hearts are as hard as ever. The first dispute starts when God says that he still loves his covenant people despite their failures. And Israel rudely objects, saying, how have you shown us any love? And so God reminds them of how he graciously chose the family of Jacob, their ancestor, to become the carrier of God's covenant promises instead of Esau, his brother, and the family that came from him, who eventually came to ruin. Remember the stories from Genesis and the book of Obadiah. And so right from this first dispute, Israel is exposed as suspicious doubting God's love and faithfulness. 
The second dispute exposes a problem with Israel's second temple. God accuses the people of despising and defiling the temple. And the people fire back, how have we despised you? And so God responds by focusing on the people, how they're bringing shamefully lame offerings of these sick, blemished animals that show that they don't value or honor their God. But it's not just the people, it's the priests too who run the temple. They not only tolerate but participate in these corrupt forms of worship. From top to bottom, God's people have proven faithless. In the third dispute, God accuses the Israelite men of treachery against him and their wives, which of course they deny. And God exposes the toxic combination of idolatry and divorce taking place. You have Israelite men marrying non-Israelite women and then adopting the worship of their wives' ancestral gods into their homes. Remember the story from Nehemiah chapter 13. And so Malachi connects this to a wave of men divorcing their wives for no good reason. And the people are all fine with this. And Malachi says, no, it's a betrayal of your covenant with God. And so Malachi transitions into the second set of disputes that confront Israel's rebellion. So the fourth dispute begins with the Israelites accusing God of neglect, saying, where is the God of justice? They see injustice and corruption abounding, and God seems to do nothing. So God responds by saying that he'll send a messenger who will prepare the people for God's personal return in the day of the Lord. He will come like fire to purify his people and to remove idolatry and sexual immorality and injustice so that only the faithful remnant is left to become his people. In the fifth dispute, God calls the people to turn back to him, to which the people say, how can we turn back? And so God confronts their selfishness. He shows how they've stopped offering a tithe of their income to the temple. Now, that word tithe just means one-tenth. It's the amount of their income and produce that the Israelites were to annually donate to support the temple and its priests. The practice is laid out in different parts of the Torah. Now, we know from Malachi and from the book of Nehemiah that the people were neglecting this responsibility. And so the temple was falling into disrepair. And so God confronts them. He says he wants to bless them with abundance, but only if they're going to be faithful. In the final dispute, the people accuse God and say that it's pointless to serve him. They observe wicked, prideful people succeeding in life, and God does nothing. And God's response for the first time in the book is not a speech but rather a short story about the faithful remnant in Israel, people who fear the Lord and they love to get together and talk about how to honor God and serve him. And so God orders that a scroll of remembrance be written for these people so that they can read the scroll and remember God's character and promises. Malachi, he's reflecting here on the divine gift of the scriptures, how they point us to the past to remember what God has done in order to inspire faithfulness and hope for the future which leads to the conclusion of the book. It picks up and develops the imagery of the fourth dispute about the coming day of the Lord, but it develops it further. God says that he's appointed a day of purifying judgment that will consume the wicked from among his people. But what the conclusion adds is the future of the faithful remnant, because for them, the day of the Lord is not a threat. It's a cause for joy. It'll be like the rays of the rising sun that bring healing and life and hope for the future. And so Malachi's disputes come to a close, but there's still a bit more to this book. The final three verses, they're not part of the disputes, and actually they function like a concluding appendix, bringing closure not just to Malachi, but to the whole collection of the Torah and the prophets. 
So first, the reader is called to remember the law, or the Torah, of my servant Moses. This recalls the story and the laws of the covenant that you find in the first five books of the Bible. But then we hear this summary of the books of the prophets. I will send the prophet Elijah before the day of the Lord, who will restore the hearts of God's people. So this conclusion, it summarizes the Torah and the prophets as a unified story that points to the future. Israel was redeemed by God, and then they betrayed him through their rebellion and hard hearts, breaking the laws of the Torah. But the scriptures anticipate a future day when God's going to send a new prophet, a Moses, a new Elijah, who will restore God's people and heal their hard hearts. Remember all of the promises from Deuteronomy and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so this concluding appendix presents the scriptures as a divine gift to read and to ponder and to pray over. They tell the truth about the human condition, about our selfishness and our sin. But they also announce God's promise that one day he would send a messenger and then show up personally to confront evil, to restore his people and bring his healing justice. And it's that future hope that Malachi and the Torah and all of the prophets are about. Amen. If you have not caught all of the Bible Project videos that we have done, I just really strongly encourage you to get that whole overview of the Old Testament and, and the New Testament and the way it all ties together to tell one story. And today we're going to look at just a couple quick speed bumps that God showed me in Malachi, and then I'm going to tie them back to the whole story of the Old Testament, this, this thing, word that God gave me that I think is just perfect for where we are in our lives today. So just a quick overview of some of the speed bumps and some of the disputes that the Israelites had in Malachi 1-2, God says, I have always loved you, but the Israelites retort, how have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor, Jacob. Kurt, as you pray today that we would know God's love for us, it's never waned, it's never changed, but the Israelites were saying, prove it, God, right? Now, if, you say, if your kids say that to you, you're, they're going to be in trouble. That's a little bit rude, but that's how the, kids, how the Israelites talk to God. My next speed bump, they, God said, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. And then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of God deserves no respect. What the Israelites were doing in that time was offering the, the worst possible sacrifice. They weren't even meeting the bare minimum. They weren't offering anything to God from their hearts. They weren't cheerful givers. They were offering the bare minimum, not even acceptable sacrifices. And God was offended by that, rightly so. The next speed bump for me was in Malachi 3.7. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? And I would reframe the question a little bit. I don't know that they were ever truly with God. We're going to see that a bit in a little, in a, a little, bit, a little more in a moment. <laughs> I can't talk. We're going to see how God would say, did you ever really come to me? because he, they never really gave him their hearts. They were there only for what they could get out of it, which is proven even further in this next speed bump. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord, but you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's army that we are sorry for our sins? And they're pointing back to a lot of what Kevin and Zach were talking about in Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai was that they repented and they changed their ways and they turned back to God and they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the walls. And now just a hundred years later, 
They've gone back to idolatry. They've gone back to their old ways. And they're saying, we tried to show you we were sorry. Well, repentance isn't just I'm sorry. It's I'm sorry and change my ways. It's I turn around and I walk the other way. And the Israelites had never truly given their hearts to God. They had never truly repented as a nation because here, in just 100 years, they were already back to their old ways. And the pattern that God was showing me was a pattern that is throughout all of the Old Testament. The Israelites would say, God, we're desperate. We need you. We need help. God, please pour out your presence on us. God, please help us. And he would show up and he would do something and they would cry out in thankfulness and they would say, thank you so much, God. You're awesome. You're amazing. We worship you. We follow you. We serve you. And they'd build an altar of remembrance or a pillar of standing stones, a pillar of memorial. They would do that and then life would go back to normal and they would forget God and go back to their old ways. And that's a pattern that we see over and over and over again, all the way from Genesis, all the way to Malachi, the Israelites continued that same pattern. And one of the ways that I think it's pointed out most clearly is in Exodus with Moses. And before I show you what the actual scripture says, says I'm gonna show you the LSK version of Moses. So if your kids are in the room, this video will be familiar to them. But here is a time when God is calling the Israelites to come closer to him, and I want you to watch their response. After three days, there was thunder and lightning as a thick cloud covered the mountain. The people heard a loud trumpet blast. And Moses led people to the foot of the mountain to meet with God. When we show that clip in LSK, the kids all... Um, as God says, come closer, God uses Moses to say, come closer. The Israelites' response is, shaking my head, absolutely not doing it. I would say, back in the old days, talk to the hand, not getting closer to God. Here's how Moses actually puts it in Exodus. Here's what the scripture says. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and spoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Now, I am sure, Kevin and Joe, this has never happened at your house. But Kurt and Julie, maybe I'll pick on you today since you're here. Possibly when the girls were younger, there may once, only once I'm sure, have been a time when Julie said, I'm not talking to your father, so Chappelle, go tell your dad. Or where Kurt said, I'm not talking to your mom, so Shalimar, go tell your mom. That's what the Israelites are saying to God. Don't talk to us yourself. We don't want to hear from you. That's what they were doing again in Malachi. How can we return? We never left. How can you return? You were never there. They never truly gave their hearts to God. And I love, don't love, the next scripture. The next scripture to me is, I think, one of the saddest scriptures in the whole Bible. And this is what it says. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning, to change your hearts. God has come to help change your hearts. God's come to help you. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. God said, people, make room for me. Come closer to me. And the people said, let Moses give us your word, God. Let Moses tell us what you want, but we don't want to get closer. In Malachi, what good has it done us to follow you, God? Where's the benefit? Where's the perks? You know, that commercial membership has its privileges. The Israelites are going, God, where's the perks of following you? I want the perks. I want the bennies. And they never had the relationship God was asking for in the first place. Now, 
I'm gonna tell a story. If your kids are in the room, they've heard this story before, but it's one of my favorite stories of illustrating this point because it's the opposite of this point. So if you know me, you know I don't have my own children, but I've adopted my best friend's children. They have four, and I'm a second mom or a non-biological aunt or a godmother, depending on the day of how they introduce me to people. So they are my kids too. And one of their kids, uh, Katie, when she was about to turn four, we had the situation. So let me tell you first what, what was going on. Throughout most of their, their lives, with the kids' lives, we've lived in and out of each other's homes or a block or two apart, near each other. If my house is under construction, I live with them. If their house is under construction, they live with me. And so we've been very involved in each other's homes and basically had two households together. But at this point, when Katie's four, the Turners, that my friends, were called to go back and serve at a church in Chicago. And so they were about to move. So difficult for all of us because it's hard. I, I told their parents at the time, I feel like I'm the non-custodial parent here <laughs> because I didn't get to see them. But we spent a lot of time on the phone. And as Katie, I'm gonna put up her picture. This is Katie when she's four. And you can see that that other picture is Katie in New York. I was visiting her a couple months ago. So when Katie is about to turn four, we're are about to turn five, we're on the phone, we're chatting very frequently. And as kids do, they start bringing up their birthday two months ahead of time, three months ahead of time. It's going to be my birthday soon. I'm going to be five. And as every adult does, oh, that's so awesome. What do you want for your birthday? Katie's answer, I don't want a present. I just want Juju to come. At that moment, my heart was a puddle on the floor because Katie didn't want the bennies. She didn't want the benefits. She just wanted me. And, of course, like almost the rest of, all the rest of you would have done, I'm booking a plane ticket that day, right? Because I'm coming. But I wanted to be a surprise, so I don't tell her. So over the next few weeks and the months as we're getting closer and we're chatting on the phone and I'd say everyone, every time her birthday came up, hey, what do you want for your present? And she'd keep saying, I don't want a present. I just want Juju to come. We're getting closer and one day she finally says, okay, okay, you can get me and it was some kind of Dalmatian toy. I don't know if the Dalmatian movie was out then, I don't know, but it was some kind of Dalmatian toy. You can get me that. And I'm like, okay, but, now she's four years old, but you can't mail it. You have to bring it yourself. Katie didn't just want the benefits. As a matter of fact, she didn't even care about the benefits. She wanted relationship. The Israelites had the opposite problem. Draw close to God, Lord, please save us. We need the benefits of, of following you. We get past it. Okay, God, we're good. We got it. We're under control. We'll just return to normal until the next crisis came. God, we need you. Now we're good, God. God, we need you. And God's looking for hearts that are like Katie's. I just want to be with you, God. I don't want the benefits that come from your hand. I'm seeking your face. Oh, I touched my face. We're not supposed to do that today, right? <laughs> but God, I'm seeking your face. I want you. My heart belongs to you first and foremost. I want you more than anything else. So why am I telling that story today? Because I catch myself right now praying, God, could we please return to normal? Yes, God, heal the nations. Yes, God, do your work. But Lord, how many more days? How many more days? And I don't know if you do this, but when I'm in a difficult situation, for instance, on a mission trip where I'm sleeping in a tent and showering in an outside shower, which if you know me, that is just not JJ at all. I want a good shower and a good bed. So the way I get through that is I count down. Okay, only five more days of this. Next morning, okay, only four more showers like this. Next morning, okay, only three more showers. And in my head, I'm going, hey, Siri, how many more days? Hey, Siri, how many more minutes? When are we going to be done with this? And God's not telling us when we're going to be done. God's saying, will you make room for me? And in my life, my challenge 
Interestingly, Kevin, when you prayed, you kept saying the word embrace. God years ago challenged me. I was walking with a friend along the beach in, in Oregon, and they were talking about a hard situation in their life, and it was similar to mine. And they said, I'm just resigned. I'm just resigned that God's never going to do this fill in the blank. And when they said that word resigned, something inside me yelled, no. I didn't say it out loud because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. But something inside me yelled, no. My gut said, no. I don't want to be resigned to God's will for my life. I will embrace it. Now, a couple weeks ago, Kevin said he quoted me saying, I want to live this life where my answer is yes in advance, God. Whatever you ask of me, whatever, whenever, wherever, in advance, my answer is yes. Thank you so much for giving me credit for that, Kevin. It was Rick Warren. But... But I was quoting Rick Warren, and I've purposed in my life to live that, God, I'm going to embrace your will no matter what. Whatever, wherever, whenever, in advance, my answer to what you ask me is yes, God. I don't want to be the Israelite saying, just give me the benefits. And yes, I have relationship with God. Don't doubt that. I have relationship. My heart belongs to him. But in this season, I've been saying, wait, God, how many more days so I can be with people again? Because my calling is people. And I'm very much an extrovert. I live alone, but I'm very much an extrovert, and my life is very full. And for 17 days, this is day 18 for me, first day I've been in a room with people. For 17 days, I've been away from people. And I've been saying, God, just get me through this. God, just get me through this. How many more showers do I have to take outside, God? How many more nights do I have to sleep in a tent, God? And God's going, will you just say yes to whatever I'm doing right now? Will you make room for me to do whatever I want to? And truthfully, my answer has been, yes, God, but how much longer? Yes, God, I, whatever, in advance, yes, but wait, what does this mean now? Because if, I'm not saying we're never going to be with people again, but if this is another month or another two months or another three months, I don't know if I can say yes, God, because I'm going crazy. I need people. And God's saying, your identity isn't your calling. My calling is people. My identity isn't my calling. And even though I prefer the skydiving side of my life, the fast wind blowing my skin back and I'm still screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs with a huge smile. And in every picture, my jump master had a GoPro on his, oops, he had a GoPro on his wrist. And so I literally have hundreds of pictures of me in the um, free fall period. And in every picture, I have that expression on my face. In every picture, I'm all in. And God's saying, what about if you're in the ISO tank right now? Are you all in if that's your season of life? Are you all in no matter what I'm saying, no matter when I'm saying? And in my devotions, I have this book, and it's sitting on my coffee table because it matches the colors in my living room. It looks really cute. <laughs> and I've read some of the devos, but I picked it up again a couple weeks ago, and it is good. It's not that it's not the only reason it's sitting there, as Kevin and Pam are laughing at me, but it does look cute in my living room. So other devo books that don't look so cute might be in other places. <laughs> but I picked it up, and interestingly, the book is called Embraced. And there's this quote in there. Um, it's Lisa Turkerst, who, Tykerst, Turkerst, who wrote the book, and there's this quote that has really been summarizing what God is trying to tell me right now. I must underwhelm my schedule so God has room to overwhelm my soul. Today we must stand moment by moment in the reality of our identity before we resume our activity. So here's my confession today. I don't like the isotank side of my personality. My personality has two speeds, fast and stop. I don't have a medium. 
I talk too fast, I know. I think fast, I like to get stuff done fast so I can have time to play. That's kind of my thing, get the work done so I can play, but even playing, I wanna be fast. And truthfully, I don't like the stop side of my personality. I can be lazy, I can be a slob, I feel like a big blob, I don't accomplish anything, it can be lonely, I don't like it. And there have been other seasons in my life where God has said, I wanna to talk to you about this finding your identity and your calling piece because that's not how I find your identity. That's not what God says to me. And he's talked to me about it before. And I've said, yes, God, I repent. My identity is in you. My identity is in being your chosen daughter, the one you love. One of the many that you love. All he loves all of us. But that's my identity, not my calling. Not how many people are in my life. That's not my identity. And God has made those changes in my heart before, but I've gone back to normal. And right now God is saying, Will you stand moment by moment in the reality of your identity and embrace it and say yes, whatever, whenever, wherever, in advance, no matter how long the season of social isolation or social distancing is, will you say yes and embrace it and don't worry about counting down the moments and counting down the days and counting it down? I desperately want to go back to normal. And I think normal's good. I love my calling, I love being with people, I love my ministry, I love hanging out with your kids and your youth, I love hanging out with you, I love that. But God says my identity is not in my activity. And he's saying, will you let me change that? Will you let me change it permanently before you try to go back to normal? Would you let me make a new normal in your heart? And would you find yourself in a new way? Now for me, that's my struggle. Yours is very different. And some of you right now, if you've got your kids at home, and you're trying to teach, Anna Weber's trying to teach classes while she's got her two kids in her house and her husband's gone with the, the National Guard. So she's got two kids at home and she's trying to teach classes online and she would love five minutes in the isolation tank. Some of you, your house is insane right now. Lori Batterman, every time I talk to her, her life is crazier than ever right now. And you just wish for five minutes in the isolation tank. So I know that your story is very different than mine. For some of you, you can relate. For some of you, you can't relate. But there's a point that matters to all of us. There's a point of what God wants to do in this season that matters to all of us. And Justine captured it in one of her sermons. In her last lecture, uh, a few weeks ago, Justine said, my God is good to me. If he's asking me to do something that's hard, I can trust that it's good for me. And this season, no matter why it's hard, it's hard for all of us in different ways. It's hard around the world. The only time that I can even come close to comprehending something similar is when the world changed on September 11th. And the world did change, but mostly America changed. But the whole world did change to a certain extent. And the biggest change was TSA. We, <laughs> we all have TSA stops right, right now, right? And you don't have to any longer feel guilty about dropping somebody off at the curb because you used to feel guilty if you dropped them off at the curb and didn't go to the gate. Now, that's just normal life. So yes, the world changed on September 11th. And churches were full and people were praying and we were unified and we were seeing God do things and the churches were rejoicing at what God was doing. And we went back to normal. When's the last time on a trip you even took the Ziploc bag out of your carry-on with your liquids in it? Because even though we're supposed to do that, we don't have to do that anymore. Nobody checks that. So the world went back to normal. And here's the challenge that I feel like God has for all of us today. What is your story going to be at the end of this season? What is the change that God wants to make? What's the fruit of this season? 
My God is good to me, as Justine preached. If he's asking me to do something that's hard, I can trust that it's good for me. And you might be blessed because your life hasn't changed a ton, except that you're not going out. And as Joe preached, if you're an introvert, you've been preparing for this your whole life, right? Maybe you're not going out, but there are hard things. There's fear about what's gonna happen to the economy. And even if your income is stable right now, you have kids or friends or families or neighbors or businesses that may not be the same when, we're, when this is over. There are so many changes right now and we could never have predicted it. When I was skydiving on February 28th and in, a, in an isolation tank on March 5th and saying, just doing my normal life, I could never have guessed that on March 11th, everything in, in Washington changed. The rest of the country, different dates, different states, right? But everything changed March 11th. And I went home March 11th, stopped at the mall first, which is probably where I caught the cough, right? But stopped at the mall first, went home, and didn't leave my house again until today, other than going on walks around my neighborhood. And still it's not over. And still there's in me the countdown. But the deeper cry in my heart is, God, what is it that you want to change in me? What is the long-term change you want to make? What's the fruit you want to bring? Because I don't want this to be, for me, like September 11th where we went back to normal. I'm saying, God, what do you want to do in our lives? And there's this great scripture in Hebrews. Heads up, the days are coming when I'll set up a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah. I'll throw out the old plan that I set up with their ancestors when I led them by the hand out of Egypt. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, so I looked away and let it go. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper, isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of their hearts. I'll be their God, they'll be my people. Now I know Lake Sam is a congregation of people who are already serious about our walks with God. I, I love that about us. We're serious about discipleship. Kurt, you have raised us up to know what it means to follow God. But I feel like even for those of us who are serious about God, God didn't bring us in this season for nothing. If he's bringing us in a hard season, it's because he wants to do something good in us. As you sang during worship, he's a good, good father. And as we sing over and over again, God, I'm gonna make room for you to do whatever you want to, let's not let that be a lie. I was singing it, but I wasn't really meaning it. And God said, I want to take your surrender. This is what I'm laying down, every lie and every doubt. The lie for me? I don't like the isolation part tank, tank, the isolation tank part of myself. I don't like the stop part of myself. And here was my lie. God doesn't either. I'm ashamed of that part of myself when I just get really lazy. And I think God's ashamed of me too. And God's saying... No, that was a lie. Will you lay down that lie? And will you know how I feel about you? So on my standing stone that I want to make for this season, interestingly, these stones were from my first lecture at Lake Sam, the, I think the first time I preached to adults. And so Kevin still has his. He's threatened to throw it at me, but you can just bring it up here, Kevin. Kevin still has his. Adam has his somewhere, but he can't find it right now. You <laughs> Because I love you, Adam. Um, in 2011, I preached a sermon in adult church, or I think it was family church, actually, and we wrote standing stones about what God was saying to us in that season. And mine says Lake Sam, because God had just called me here. And then it says Isaiah 54. There was a promise that God gave me when I was called to Lake Sam that I wanted to make on a standing stone so I never forgot what God said in that season. Kevin says, provided, Bellevue, Washington. 
Some of you, I've been in your home. Some of you still have these standing stones. And so here's the challenge. I've told you my story. And again, what's hard for me is different than what's hard for you. But every single person, not just in this country, but around the world, we're all affected by COVID-19 right now. But God's not doing it for nothing. I know that was improper grammar. If my mom ever hears this sermon, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> God has a reason for this season that's going to bring fruit. And yes, God's heart is breaking for the pain and for the financial loss and most importantly for the loss of life and the suffering. And God cares about all of that. But when God calls us into hard seasons, he does it for a purpose. And so my question is, what is your standing stone going to say with your family? What is it going to say when you tell the story 20 years from now? What are you going to say that you let God do, that you let God write on the lining of your heart in this season? That you'll never go back to normal, that there's something permanent and lasting. The Israelites made the change time and time and time again, and they went back to saying, okay, God, what's the perk of following you? And God's saying, just chase my heart. Just reach out to me. Just let me have your heart. Just let me change things. Just let me write something new on the lining of your heart. And worship team, you guys can come up. And just my last thought, that I just want to challenge you as a family, as individuals, today, literally, go out and pick up a stone. I drove over one on my way to church, right down the middle of my tires, praise God. But I was like, I should stop and pick that one up. It's a perfect stone for today. But go in your yard, it's still allowed, go in your yard, pick up a stone, and ask God, what's the change? What's the fruit of this season? Because this season isn't hard for no reason. God wants to do something. God wants you to seek his face as never before, to call out to him as never before. And what's that lasting change that in 10 years, these stones actually, Kevin, were nine years ago, 2011. So nine years ago, and I can still tell you the story. Can you still tell the story of what this meant? So in 10 years, nine years, 20 years, when your grandchildren are talking about this season of life, when they tell the story, when they tell your story, what will it be? What is God asking you to give to him so he can change you permanently? So Lord, we thank you. Thank you, thank you that you're a good, good father. And that, Lord, when you bring us in hard situations, you never leave us, you never forsake us, but you want to do something new and something permanent. So, Lord, as we have been forced to make room for you when our schedules are shut down, God, we thank you for this season where you can change us. And, Lord, I just offer my heart to you, and, Lord, I say, write a new story. Change my identity and let it last. And Lord, I ask for every person listening, show them how you want to change something in their lives, in their families' lives. What's the fruit? What's the lasting change that you want to make as you inscribe your word on our hearts? Amen. Thank you. That was just brilliant. Perfect, perfect word for the day. Thank you. And perfectly delivered. You're just awesome. Uh...